one state in the United States that's shaped like a shield, that's my state. <laughs> and right in the center of that state is our great capital, Columbus, Ohio, and that's where we reside. And I bring greetings to you from our local church, uh, Rama Christian Center, uh, this morning, like yourselves. They are in their first, well, really their second service. We have a service on Saturday night as well as Sunday morning, and then one at Sunday morning 11. We just are workhorses there, so uh, uh, just doing what the Lord told us to do. So we uh, greet you on behalf of our church and also on behalf of our network of local churches. And let me also greet you on behalf of the Fellowship of International uh, Word of Faith Ministries. And that is overseen by Dr. Frederick Casey Price. And that's the fellowship that I have been a part of uh, since its inception and have connected with them. And Dr. Price has been a great mentor as well as a great model for ministry. And so I greet you on behalf of those fellowships in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to be at Faith Christian Center. And traveling with me this morning is the loveliest lady in the land, my wife, Teresa Scales. So why don't you stand, Teresa? All right. Good. And we do honor the Lord for her presence in this place. She doesn't go everywhere with me, but she seems to like the folk in New England. And so that's good news. And it's good to see all of your faces here this morning. Well, we're on assignment uh, this week, and we trust to take us on a journey as we travel through the Word of God and look at that emphasis that I believe that the Lord has placed upon us for this time. And we just trust that by the end of uh, Wednesday night that all of us will be built up and will be better because we have been here. Could you take your Bible and could you hold it up and we're going to make a declaration of faith or if you have a digital instrument or wherever you may be pulling your scriptures from this morning, that's fine also. Can you say this after me? This is my Bible. Is my Bible. Though there are many in the world, this one is mine. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I could have. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe that he is and he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Because I am a diligent seeker of God, my life will be better because I have heard the word of faith. Do you believe that? Yes. I believe that. Let's make our lives better by hearing the word of God. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Could you open your Bibles today to Colossians chapter 4? Colossians chapter 4. It's a little epistle in our New Testament, a little letter written by Paul to the church at Colossae. And could you find uh, verse number 7, please? Verse number seven, Colossi, Colossians chapter four and verse number seven. Now, this morning, let me set up this scripture so that we can really see where we're going to be going. Colossi chapter four and verse number seven. It says, uh, Tachius, my beloved brethren, fellow minister and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you also of the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose that he may know your circumstances and comfort your heart. Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brethren who is one of you, they will make known to you all the things which are happening here. Aristarchus, a fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you have received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, these two these are the, uh, my only uh, fellow workers of the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. 
Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you also, laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Herophilus. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea in Memphis and the church that is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, See that it is read also in the church at the Laodiceans and you likewise read the epistle from the Laodiceans. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. I read for you the um, epilogue of the book of Colossians. And the book of Colossians is one of these fascinating little books in our New Testament because it's only about four chapters. It's pretty short. But the significance of the book's writing uh, is very relevant to us today. It seems like uh, in the Lycus Valley, uh, a little fledgling church has now emerged. Paul is in prison. The Lycus Valley is a triad of cities. It has Colossae, Laodicea, and Herophilus there, and it's a commerce area. People travel back and forth. There are both Jews in the Lycus Valley, and there are also Greek, and a lot of Greek philosophers. It seems like the gospel has now come and a little church has now emerged in this area. Epaphras that we have read about in this text seems to have started the church. But all of a sudden, when the church starts, it's not so far into its existence, but it begins to experience some trouble. Part of the New Testament pattern was that the church experienced trouble on two fronts. There was trouble from without that came from the political structures and the religious structures, that trouble was called persecution. But then there was also trouble from within. And these were false teachers that rose up in the early church to cause people to stray from the word of God. Trouble from without, trouble from within. And the trouble in the church at Colossae was trouble from within. There were two philosophies that were going on in the church that were kind of causing the church to stray away from the gospel that had once been delivered to them. First of all, there were Jews in the church and they were telling everybody, you have to become a Jew before you can become a Christian. And if you're not obeying Jewish law, uh, if you're not obeying the new moons, the festivals, the celebrations, the liturgical laws, if you're not being circumcised, you can't be a Christian. Then there were also Greeks that were in the church and they were into Gnosticism. They thought that there was a great gulf between things that were spiritual and things that were natural. And they thought that the greatest uh, level of life for mankind was not to know God, but to actually know yourself. So these two philosophies were in the church and Epaphras comes to Paul, this apostle, because first century apostles were guardians of the doctrine and of the teaching of the church. And he says, Paul, we have a real problem. Paul then writes back this little letter to the church at Colossae. And the first two chapters in great Pauline style talk about the supremacy of Christ. 
And he says, listen, you don't need Christ in Jewish tradition. You don't need Christ and Greek philosophy. Christ is the end of the law. And Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. For by him were all things created, both in heaven and in earth, both visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities and powers, all things are created by him and for him. He is before all things. By him all things exist, that in him he might have preeminence in all things. And he begins to preach Christ Jesus as the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And he talks about the supremacy of Christ and says, once you have Christ, you don't need Christ in anything else. If I was preaching in the 21st century today, Paul would say, you don't need Christ in Buddha. You don't need Christ in Allah. You don't need Christ in Krishna. You don't need Christ in Oprah's new earth. You don't need none of that. You need Christ and Christ alone. And Paul begins to preach in chapters one and two, the supremacy of Christ and our salvation coming through Christ and Christ alone. Typical Pauline style. Then in the middle of his letter in chapter three and four, he then begins to say, now that you know that you're in Christ, how should you live? And chapter three and four then become the practical section of the epistle. And he says, the way that you ought to live if you have Christ is that you need to shed off something. He says, put it off. And then there ought to be some things that you put on. Put off darkness, put on light. Put off the old man, put on the new. Put off uh, bad attitudes, put on good attitudes. Put off foul speaking, put on healthy speaking. Walk in wisdom, don't walk in foolishness and walk circumspectly in the world. And Paul begins to just exhort people. He exhorts them as family members, how husbands ought to treat their wives and wives ought to treat their husbands, how parents ought to treat their kids. And then he tells them how employees ought to treat employers, how slaves ought to respond to their masters. And then he comes down and he now takes a group picture, a snapshot of all the people he's been working with. Ministry causes us to begin to forge relationships with one another. Ministry cannot be done isolated. Many people today, because they don't want relationship have opted to worship at home today. When I was in my hotel room and the heater was on in the room this morning, I really had a passing thought. It would be so nice if I could just lay before the Lord this morning. I know none of you had that thought this morning. Woo, wouldn't it be nice if I could just minister to my mattress? But that was not the case because ministry cannot be done in its fullest extent, in its fullest extent by ourselves. Ministry involves relationships with people. In fact, I've discovered that probably the Christian life would be okay if it wasn't for the people. <laughs> the church would be fine if it wasn't for the people. But God causes us to live in a community called the church and that causes us to have to work with each other. And so what Paul does at the end of all of his letters, and I pick Colossae because of our time together, he kind of takes a snapshot of 12 different people he worked with and he's commending them or telling the church at Colossae to expect them or these people are sending greetings to them or these are people that are in the church at Colossae that Paul is working with to make them better. Friends, if we're going to build a church together, we're going to have to work together. And working together as a multicultural, multi-ethnic, economically and socially diverse community of believers can be a real chore because everyone in the church is not like us. So what Paul does is he takes his group snapshot and he talks about this group of people that we are going to call this little talk this week, working with others. You see, ministry should be warm and personal. It should be doctrinally correct and practical. But the fact of the matter is, friends in ministry 
help us to develop intimacy with one another and authority with God. Paul takes a snapshot of 12 different people at the end of this letter and says, these are people that I want you to receive in the work of the ministry that God has given us to do in the church at Colossae. All ministers need support. And all members need support. Most of us can do all right by ourselves for a while. But the fact of the matter is, you and I did not arrive in the earth by ourselves. It took a medical team or a midwife or somebody to help bring us here. And at the end of your life, if you're not cremated, or now I've found out that they can even liquidize your bodies. That was in the news this week. That was fascinating to me. There are going to be at least six people to carry you to a grave somewhere. So you and I don't enter this world by ourselves and we don't exit this world by ourselves. God calls us to live in community. One of the most powerful uh, leaders that I noticed in the Old Testament was a man named Moses. And Moses was so powerful that we were able to track him for like mm, 120 years. 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the uh, Midian Desert, 40 years in the wilderness. And Moses was one that found out he could not do it himself. In Exodus chapter 17, here we find Moses and Moses is standing before the people. And in Moses, uh, he comes to a little place and Amalek is warring against this man uh, named, uh, against all of Israel. And God gives Moses instruction and Moses goes up and he sets himself upon a rock. And, uh, and as his hands are being lifted, uh, Moses is winning the battle over Amalek and all Israel's is down there fighting. All of a sudden, when Moses' hands in Exodus 17 and verse number 8 begin to drop, all of a sudden, they begin to lose. And in Exodus 17, 10, it says, So Joshua did as Moses said to him, and he fought Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up on the top of the mountain. And so it was when Moses held up the hands uh, that Israel uh, prevailed. And when he let down his hands, that Amalek prevailed. And Moses' hands became heavy so, uh, so that uh, uh, they took a stone and put it under him and sat it and he sat on it and Aaron and her supported his arms one on one side the other on the other side and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun and Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword what a powerful picture now look at this picture and if I can, I'm not good at uh, doing illustrated sermons, but, but let me just kind of give this demonstration. Pastor John, could you come here? Do these chairs unhook? Could you bring a chair here somewhere? Can somebody just bring a chair? Now, let's say that Pastor John, he's Moses, okay? He go, everybody say, hi, Moses. Okay, now, now he's Moses. I just need one chair. Okay, that's good. You got it. Now, let's say that, 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 that we see the enemy out there in there, and, and I'm going to represent God. Okay, don't say hi, God, to me. Okay. <laughs> I'm representing God. And God tells Moses, he said, now, now listen, you need to fight against Amalek. So, so Moses goes up on the mountain and he has his hands up. Okay. Now his hands are up. Now, 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 now Joshua is down in the valley and his hands are out against the enemy. Moses' hands are up, but then Joshua's hands are out fighting the enemy. So he's out there fighting, man. He's out there doing all of his stuff. <laughs> And as he's doing his stuff, <coughs> he's knocking Amalek out. But all of a sudden, Moses' hands begin to go down. And Joshua, instead of doing stuff to the enemy with his hands out, he starts seeing Amalek prevail against him. All of a sudden, some observant people said, Moses, uh, it seems like every time your hand goes down, we're losing. So get your hands back up. So he gets his hand back up. And then Moses starts doing his stuff again. He's out there and he's fighting and he's doing all of his stuff, you know. Daniel's son. I've been watching the movie. Okay. 
All right, so so he's doing his stuff, and, and, and Israel's reeling, and as soon as his hands start going down, he starts losing. So all of a sudden now, some guys say, we need to help him get his hands up. Pastor Ray, come over here. Pastor, come over here. Come on over here. And all of a sudden, he said, now, now here's what we need y'all to do. We need y'all to have hands on to keep his hands up because there need to be some support to have some hands on so that I can keep my hands out while he keeps his hands up. You see all these hands? It takes people to do ministry. Somebody needs to keep his hands up, but they need to have his hands on so that those that are out here doing the fighting can keep their hands out and keep winning. Because when his hands are down, when my hands are out, my fight is a little weaker. And then I get into a defensive posture and I have to guard myself. And they stame. And then he starts saying, I'm getting tired. Tell him you're getting tired. Put him, put him on the rock. But keep holding his hands up. <laughs> and while they're holding his hands up, and get him on the rock. I wonder who that rock was that he started resting on. That rock that he started resting on was Jesus, but he still needed them to stay his hands. Even while he rested on the rock, Jesus, the leader, when he gets tired, it doesn't mean that he doesn't have Jesus. He just needs some more help. And as they stayed his hands, all of a sudden, Joshua began to prevail again, and they won a great victory. In every church, there needs to be a man of God that has his hands up, who's seated on a rock. But there also need to be some that have hands on. Not everyone will have hands on the leader because there's different levels of relationship, but there needs to be some that are trusted that can have hands on so that there can be some Joshua. Hello, Joshua. That when you're going out in a community and you're fighting a good fight of faith out there in the educational arena, out there in the business arena, out there in the government arena, out there in media, when you're out there in your families, when you're out there in social communities, when you're out there in the defense, when you're out there fighting because this man has his hands up to God and he's praying over you and he's calling over the ministry roster and these men have hands on and they're supporting him, then you feel strength to stay in the battle and then you start doing this and the enemy is wrought and he flees seven ways because this man has stayed Moses as powerful as he was couldn't do it by himself and neither can we in the church do it by themselves there needs to be leaders that have found rest on the rock they have their hands up but then there need to be some other leaders that have hands on so that the people can have their hands out and fight the enemy. And Jesus says, and I will build my church. Oh, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Okay, brother, y'all can go sit down there. Leaders cannot do it by themselves. No matter how strong the leader is, all leaders need to have a little help. Stay with me in the book of Exodus as I'm lead up to the book of Colossians as we look at the help that Paul had. In, in, in Exodus chapter 18 now, again, Moses gets some more help. Exodus chapter 18, stay there. It's just our little Old Testament study as we lead up to this principle of working with others. In Exodus chapter 18, Uh, and verse number, let's go to verse number 17. Or uh, let's see here. Uh, no, let's start at verse number 13. Exodus 18, 13. And it says, and uh, so it was on that day that Moses set to judge the people. And the people stood before Moses. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone set and all the people set before you from morning to evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. And when they have difficulties, they come to me and I judge between one and the other. And I know the statutes of God. 
and his laws. And Moses' uh, father-in-law said to him, the thing that you do is not good. Both you and all these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out for the thing is too much for you and you are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen to my voice and I will give you counsel and God will be with me. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God and you shall teach them the statutes and the law and show them the ways in which they must walk and work they must do. Moreover, you shall select out from all the people, able men that fear the Lord, men of truth, uh, hating covetousness and place such as rulers over thousands, rulers over hundreds, rulers over fifties and rulers over 10. Now what's going on in this text? Well, Moses has now discovered that he needs help to do ministry. But Moses' pattern has now been, since he went up on Mount Sinai to get the law, that Moses now has a little tent set up in the middle of the camp. And every morning, Moses goes out to the tent and sits there, and a big line opens up way before dawn for people to get in line to talk to Moses. Well, one day, his father-in-law comes, Jethro. Moses married his daughter, Zipporah. He wants to see how the daughter, the grandkids are getting along. Well, he sees his daughter and grandkids all day. He said, where Moses? Oh, he at work. So late at night, Moses comes dragging in, eats dinner, takes a shower, goes to sleep. Next morning, wakes up, disappears. Jethro wakes up and says, where Moses? He at work. Comes dragging in late at night eat dinner, take a shower, go to sleep. Next morning, Jethro wakes up. Said, where's Moses? He at work. <laughs> Stays gone all day. Next night comes in, eats dinner, takes a shower, goes to sleep. Next morning, Moses get up. Jethro says, I'm going to go see what this dude does. <laughs> Lafayette paraphrase version. And so he follows Moses down and he sees this tent in the middle of the camp and all the people are lined up coming to Moses. And he's there all day long. And Jethro was watching this all day long. People coming and coming and coming to Moses alone. When he gets Moses aside when they're going home, he said, man, I was watching you at work today. He said, oh, really? You came down? He said, yeah. He said, let me tell you something. The thing that you are doing is not good. Now listen, that little terminology is not good. That was only used one other time in scripture up until this point. It was over in Genesis chapter two. When God said it is not good that a man should be alone. Why are all the women talking and none of the men are saying anything? <laughs> This happens every time I mention that text. <laughs> it says it's not good for a man to be alone. Even God knew the original leader that he placed on the earth needs some help. Would you look at every man around you and tell you, you need some help? <laughs> Even the original leader that God placed on the earth, when God saw him alone, he said, he said everything. He's making creation in Genesis 1. He said, that's good. That's good. That's very good. Then when he saw a man alone, he said, that's not, it is not good that a man be alone. The original leader that God uses in the garden when he said it's not good for him to be alone. And now we find this leader leading a people that will be changed into a nation. And his father-in-law tells him, the thing that you do is not good. Now listen what he says. He said, you be for the God, be for the people Godward. He said, in other words, it's important for you to keep your hands up to God. It's important for you to be there. Take the problems the people are bringing to you, bring them to God. You deal with the big matters, but then you need some help, Moses. You levy and you delegate some help for some others so that the people will not wear out and you won't wear out because the thing 
that you do is not good. We cannot do ministry by ourselves. Would you look again with me in Numbers chapter 11, just look at the Old Testament pattern that was sweeping in this New Testament pattern. And in this Old Testament pattern in uh, Numbers chapter 11, again, it's talking about Moses and we find Moses' story in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And in Numbers chapter 11, this is Moses having a bad day. Look at your neighbor and tell them every now and then leaders have a bad day. All right, every now and then leaders have a bad day. A leader as a parent, leader as a, as a spouse, leader in business, every now and then we have a bad day. Every now and then, y'all, I, I preach nice when I come to New England, but uh, every now and then in Columbus, Ohio, I have a go to hell Sunday. <laughs> I just had a bad week, got fed up with people, and this Sunday when I stand up and preach, everybody going to hell, everybody, everybody, everybody. <laughs> I preach hell so hot and so deep and so unchangeable. <laughs> Give an altar call. Everybody come back to get saved again. <laughs> I never have done that here because y'all nice, see? Y'all nice. <laughs> but friends, every now and then leaders have a bad day. And, and in Numbers 11, we see a, a great leader having a bad day. I love the Bible because it's honest. And in Numbers 11, 14, watch this. Here's Moses. And, and he's still kind of into the same pattern, kind of performance orientation. And he says, I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. Look at your neighbor and say, he's just having a bad day. That's why I'm glad God don't answer every prayer because sometimes we pray some crazy stuff. Just having a bad day. You got to watch what you say to heaven when you're having a bad day. He said, just kill me, kill me here and now if I have found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. Lord said, boy, you just having a bad day. Verse 16, so the Lord said to Moses, gather to me 70 men out of the elders of Israel whom you have uh, to be elders of the people and officers over them and bring them to the tabernacle of the meeting that you may, that, that they may stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there and I will take of the spirit that is upon you and will put the same upon them and they shall bear the burden of the people watches with you that they that you may not bear it yourself alone. Leaders need help. Amen. Cannot run a nation by yourself. You cannot run a state by yourself. You cannot run a city by yourself. You cannot run a corporation by yourself. When it was mom and pop business, you may do it by yourself. But why do great mom and pop businesses sometimes not become a larger business and then a big business and then a corporation and then global? Because many times, man, it's capacity. It has to deal with capacity. And friends, when the capacity of the people grow, then we need to learn how to work with others. What kind of people do we need to learn to work with? We need to learn to work with with others. Now watch this. Look at me in this book of Colossians. It's a fascinating one to me. Because in this book of Colossians, the first person that Paul meets, and we'll look at this one, is this guy whose name is Tacitus. Tacitus. And, uh, and, and Tacitus is this man that we meet who is called a beloved brother. He's also in Colossians 4, 7, called a faithful minister. And then Paul says he's a fellow servant in the Lord who will tell you the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose that he, that, that, that he may know your circumstance and comfort your heart. Tacitus was a man that I love because this man was a man with a servant's heart. And friends, as I... Begin to look at these characters. The first one 
Paul mentions as someone with a servant's heart. And friends, in our churches today, we need people that just have a heart to serve. Being a servant is the greatest place in our kingdom. All service that is good has merit. Whether you serve in a nursing home, as a medical assistant or a registered nurse or a doctor or a care provider, whether you serve in a hospital, whether you serve with an elderly parent and or relative that may be struggling with things like dementia, Alzheimer's, whether we do service for people when they have had loss in our ministry of mercy, in our ministry of comfort, all service has merit. You see, in our kingdom, greatness is not determined by the amount of people that serve you, but by the amount of people you serve. And greatness in our kingdom is seen as servant. One day the disciples were sitting around Jesus and they were all talking about who's going to be the greatest. And in that moment in John chapter 13, Jesus takes a towel and he wraps it around his waist at this dinner. He takes a bowl of water and he fills it full and he begins to go around and he washes all of the disciples' feet. Friends, when was the last time you and I as Christians took some time to stop and then to stoop and then to serve somebody? Because service is the highest place. And friends, here this man is mentioned five times in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 20, he's mentioned as one of those that were going to help carry an offering that was going to be delivered to the church at Jerusalem. In, Acts, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 29, here in Colossians 7, in 2 Timothy 4, 12, that we'll look at a little later on this week, and then in Titus 3 and verse number 12, this man Tacitus is, is mentioned. And when this man is mentioned, he's always seen in the vein of being a servant. First of all, he's called a fellow brother in the Lord. And Paul calls him a brother because all believers are part of our family. You see, when you and I join the body of Christ, our family expands. I know I go out to dinner and to lunch and breakfast sometime with folks, and some of them are different ethnic groups. Some of them are different nationalities. And when we're sitting there, they said, boy, you guys are sure sitting over here and having a good time. I said, well, yeah, this is my brother. And they kind of look at me because the person across the table is white. And I said, well, yeah, this couple, man, they're part of our family. And friends, our family expands and we use family terms in the kingdom of God because we are all united by one common blood. It's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that makes us one. And he calls him a fellow brother because he shows that we are one family as believers. And as families, all of us know, all of us have to pitch in and do something. I know when I was at home, I'm a middle child. I have an older sister, younger brother, middle child. And my mother was, my dad died when I was eight, so she raised us by herself as a widow. And so, I mean, we had to do household chores. You know, so I know that my day to wash dishes were were Monday and Wednesday. My sister was Tuesday and Thursday. My brother, you know, did them on, 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 on Friday and Saturday most of the time. And then every third Sunday, I would have to wash dishes again. My mother said, I'm going to cook. Y'all wash dishes. Once we got older to get up to the stove and she taught us how to cook, she taught us how to cook. Then we had to share in meal preparation. My wife's a beneficiary of that. but we had to pitch in and help. There was no such thing as girls work and boys work. Now there was such thing when it came to yard work. She made us boys get out there and cut the grass and trim it and rake the leaves. And after a while we had to learn how to paint my neighbor next door, the man next door taught us how to paint the house and paint indoors. And so we learned how to do all that because everybody had to chip in and help. And there's something about 21st century parenting where we forgot to put that inside of our kids and tell them that all work has some merit to it and you don't get paid for it. Your pay is that you live here. Your pay is that you get to soak up some heat, that you get to share some air conditioning, that you get to sail on a boat that doesn't belong to you every now and then. Allowance, what is that? I allow you to live here. <laughs> it's just your fair share of service. 
And friends, I think that it's critical that when we're part of the family, there ought to be some place in Faith Christian Center that you can set your hands to do and get your hands out the work. Second thing Paul says, this man, Tachius, man, watch this now. This man is not just a beloved brother, but he's a fellow servant. In other words, he never achieved a lot of prominence in the Bible. You don't find his name mentioned a lot of times like Peter and like Paul and like John. Never achieved a lot of prominence, but he had an important capacity to Paul. This man became a liaison to the church. He was such a fellow servant and a faithful servant that Paul could give him a message. And many times he would say, I'm sending him to Ephesus to let you know of my affairs. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 12, he says, uh, he says, listen here in Colossians, I'm sending him to you so that he can tell me of your state and, you can, and, and, you, and he can let you know of mine. He never confused promises with success because all of us will be surprised when we get in heaven it may not be all the big names that have the big seats. Prominence is not because your name is mentioned all the time, but because we had the room in our heart to put our hand to the plow. He was a faithful steward of his ministry and he highly considered Paul as an assignment from God. He was a trusted assistant as I closed this morning. A trusted assistant means he was an example of just being faithful in little things. And friends, oh, that we could have some folks that had just been faithful in little things, which led to greater things because he was faithful in taking a message to the church at Ephesus and let them know of the state of Paul. His name is mentioned in the corpus of scripture because he was faithful and announced that he was coming to the church at Colossae. His name gets in the corpus of scripture because he was faithful in just the little things. And an assistant is a person who ranks below the senior person, but he assists in a particular work and helps to get it done. First Corinthians four, two says that every steward ought to first be called faithful friends. At the end of the day, let it always be said that you and I were faithful. If we were called to stand on the parking lot and direct cars in, let it be said that we were found faithful. If our task was to lock the gate after everybody else left, let it be said that when we drive out, when the last car drives out, they said, there's that brother and we know everything's going to be secure because he was faithful. Let it be said that if my task is to stand and greet people and say, welcome to Faith Christian Center, let it be said that other than vacation and rather than sickness, when it was my turn to serve, I was faithful in that, that nobody had to call and wonder where I was and I was AWOL, absent without leave. <laughs> that I was found faithful. Let it be said that when it was my turn to teach, that I was able to teach and did it without grumbling. When I was called to preach, I knew I was called to adults. But my pastor, my first assignment was every third Sunday to go and minister at the children's ministry. Little kids. Little kids that only had a tension span of five to seven minutes. Because a child only has one minute attention span for every year that they are. So I had five to seven year olds. And I had to get real creative because I wanted to preach for an hour. And they said, they're going, <laughs> So I had to get real creative, so I had to do all kind of stuff. One day I had to preach from a shoe. I said, listen, your life is like a shoe. They said, no, it's not. Yes, it is. <laughs> I said, your life has a soul. See that on the bottom? You got a soul. See, you got a soul. God wants to deal with you. Your life has, in your life you have eyes, and God wants to watch what you do with your eyes. What are you looking at? What are you looking at? I said, God wants to give you the Holy Ghost so you can speak with a new tongue. You can speak with a new tongue. Had to get real creative, man. Just preach from a shoe. One day I was talking on the power of the tongue, and I went to the store and bought a big old beef tongue. <laughs> Brought it in in a bag and had it sit on the table. And I said, I'm going to talk to you today, and my sermon's in the bag. And I said, with, and I read this text, you know, uh, that, that, that the tongue is an unruly member. And I said, what do you think's in the bag? They said, we don't know. I said, there's a tongue in there. No, it's not. I broke it out. I said, here it is. Ooh, that's gross. Can I touch it? Ooh, that's gross. So just had to learn how to be creative. And I'm born to preach to the nations, you know. But my assignment, little kids, 
Little kids. Little kids. And I asked my pastor years later, why did you assign me no little kids? He said, because I found out Lafayette, if you could make a little kid understand, then when you stand up in front of adults, then you can make them understand what was preached. Friends, if we could just have some men like this man, tacky as man, if we could just have some men like this guy that just comes in that we could call a brother, he's a faithful servant. He ranks below the leader, but he sets his hand to a particular task, and he's faithful, never absent without leave. And then Paul calls him a bond servant. A bond servant is just simply the word diakonos, but this is soon doulous. He's a fellow servant, soon doulous. But Paul says this is a relational term. It's a relational term to the Lord. He's a fellow servant of the Lord. You see, even as a leader, I have to understand that the people that God gives to me is a gift by the grace of God. They are not mine to control, but they are God's gift as servants to me to help fulfill his purpose. Every servant of any senior leader in the Lord must have a strong relationship with the Lord. And this man, Tacitus, I love him because this man, he was a servant in the Lord. For the text says, I am sending him to you. But he's a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I don't care how much you serve, you and I cannot operate off the spirituality of our leader. We must be willing to develop our own spirituality with the Lord. Ray, you can come now because, see, as I develop my own spirituality with the Lord, my own worship life will develop. If I develop my own spirituality with the Lord, it's critical that I understand also that my relationship with one another will develop. Listen. As I develop my spirituality on a one-on-one -on -one level with the Lord, I have discovered that everything that I need will develop better. There are some people, because their leader is highly anointed, they just feel like, I know I got the anointing. But when did you spend some time with the Lord reading your Bible besides Sunday morning? When did you spend time in prayer beside the prayer times we have in our corporate worship? When did you spend time just sitting quiet before the Lord and just listening to his voice so that you can learn in this darkened and confused day the voice? Because there are so many voices in the world and none of them were without significance. But through all the voices, when was it that I sat and learned the voice of the Lord? See, it's important for all servants of the Lord to maintain a permanent, vibrant relationship and this man though he was a beloved brother a faithful minister the thing that I give him strong applause for he was a fellow servant in the Lord Moses needed his hands up but he needed some fellow servants in the Lord some folks that could put their hands on him but also had their hands in God and what would happen if throughout the breath of Faith Christian Center from this platform all the way to the parking lot that we had people that could be called beloved brethren. Folks that we'd never have to worry about them stabbing us in the back. Quitting. Causing confusion in the ministry because they are beloved brethren. They're just here to help. What would happen if everybody in the church was a faithful minister or servant? Just found a place where they can have either their hands out or their hands on while the leader has his hands up and we could all get the job done together. You see, when Israel won that battle, they didn't say Moses won it, Aaron and Hur run it, Joshua won it. They said, no, Israel wrought a great work that day. I don't believe that the church has yet experienced what the church will experience when we don't care who gets the credit. And this is that day. When I'm working with my relationship with you, I'm also working on my relationship with the Lord. Because John puts it like this. How can you say you love me who you've never seen when you can't even relate to your brother that you see every day? How can we expect to work with God who we cannot see 
when we have not yet learned how to work with one another that we see every day. And part of my prayer for our church as I come this year to you is that God would bring to the cross everything inside of every member and every worshiper at this church, bring it to the cross, everything that would prevent us from working together. Because you see, in the days that are coming, we're going to need each other. Man, we won't have nobody else. All we will have is God and one another. And friends, it's in these times when it's relatively still good times that we can build these relationships so that finally when we're all just stuck with one another and all we have is one another, we have strong bond and strong relationship. I want to pray for us. I want you to hold somebody's hand if you can. Father, if ever there was a day that we needed one another, this is that day. And Father, we're in a day that we see an earthquake that happened in Japan. What a tragedy. But then it was followed by a tsunami wave. And tens of thousands killed. And then, Father, if that was not enough, then it was followed by nuclear power plants now looking like they're getting ready to melt down or erupt. God, we're living in a day where we're seeing mass destruction and confusion. God, we see war in Libya. Bahrain, Tunisia, threats of war in Yemen and Saudi Arabia. God, we have national leaders that don't even seem to know what to do. Father, we live in a nation that's trillions of dollars in debt and borrowing more. And it seems like we need a Joseph that would come and tell us what to do to get out of this economic Dilemma, And if there was ever a day that we needed a word from you, this is that day, God, this is that day. But God, we also need to feel the tangible support of humanity. While our leaders have their hands up to you, we want to stretch out our hands to one another. And Father, we want to be supportive ministry like this man Tachius was. This man that stood and said, Paul, I'm your brother, I'm your fellow servant, but I'm also a fellow bond servant of the Lord. Father, help us to build our relationship with you stronger so that we can build our relationship with one another. And Father, I pray for that member today who has maybe been hurt or betrayed or isolated, and now they're becoming insulated and they're saying, you know, I'll go to church, but I really don't want to relate to people because of the hurt and the pain. Some have experienced hurting congregations, some in the workplace, some in family. And it's just hard to break through those barriers. Father, over this week, would you help to melt those barriers and let us know that we can connect, that we can relate, and we can care. And Father, we want to connect and relate everybody in this church to fulfill your purpose in New England. In Jesus' name, help us, Holy Spirit. Shed your love abroad in our hearts. And we thank you for it now. In the name of Jesus. Father, let your love flow from us. And we thank you for it. Squeeze that hand real good. Amen in Jesus' name. Praise the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now listen to me very closely. There may be some men and women that are here this morning. 